Some final words. What would be some of the final words you would say if you were told by God that you were going to die? No question. And it's going to happen soon. Like real soon. Like here's, it's going to happen. What would be your last final words that you would say to your closest of family, friends, or community? We'll see tonight, we will see Moses' final, some final words as he has been a leader for the nation of Israel. And God is going to give him some words. He's got some words to say to the nation of Israel. And some are really, really good. And some are a really big warning of what will happen. And as you ponder on this, think about this. This is a perfect example of God who knows all things. He's sovereign. And in this chapter, you're going to see here is a God that's telling the leader of the nation of Israel to speak these truths to his people. And as you speak these truths, he's also going to show, prophesy to through Moses. And Moses is going to prophesy, I should say, the truths of God of what they're going to do before they even know they're even going to do it. So in this chapter, we know clearly that God can clearly reveal to people things that they don't even know will happen because of, of their in obedience or, in this case, disobedience. So Mar Moses charges the people, Joshua, the future leader of Israel, and the priests with something very important here. We see it in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. Follow with me here. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Oh, happy birthday, Moses. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. <laughs> You can read through that really quick and, and not think much about it. But if you really understand the scripture and understand as a leader of a nation for the last 40 years, giving his life to these people. These people have rebelled against him, his own sister, his own brother. I mean, even people are coming against him. And God has preserved him through all of the highs and lows. And we'll find out, as you know, and we'll talk about it here in detail, he makes one mistake. And he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. A place that he had been thinking about, probably dreaming about, hearing about it his whole life from Abraham to oh, Isaac and Jacob, all the way down through. And he doesn't get to go in because he, he went against God. Now, they all go touch, touch on some of these things, but we notice here in the scripture that Moses is 120 years old. It was not limited by his physical condition that he cannot go into the promised land. It's not a physical condition because we see here shortly a time that he will climb up the top of the mountain to look over into across the Jordan River into the promised land. And God gives him a, a mountaintop view and said, do you see that ocean the Mediterranean, do you see Mount Horeb? Do you see down here in the desert? That's all the people's land that I'm giving them. But you don't go in there. So Moses actually gets to see the land. He just never gets to set foot in the land. And it wasn't because he was 
not able to no longer go and out and in. That's not all the, the full story here because he, he can no longer go out and come in because he was limited by God's command. God said he will not be able to no longer come and go. The decree that Moses would not enter the promised land was set as we saw in Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, then when we studied that book. And these specific words of God to Moses are not recorded in Numbers 20 uh, account, but must be further elaborated of the degree from Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, when it says, You shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now there's a difference. Sometimes you have to listen to people's words because sometimes people will, will kind of, oh, did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? Ask Adam and Eve. They, started, they knew clearly what they were to do, but then they started questioning because the, Satan convinced her. Are you sure that's what God meant? And same thing right here, because the, these words are very different if you see this. Because if you look at the saying, you shall not bring this congregation into the land, and you shall not cross over this Jordan. Those are two different things. Because as a leader, you could be saying, you, I cannot lead these people into the promised land? What? God, give me another chance. But then you could sit in your head and go, okay. I can't lead you into the promised land, but that doesn't mean I can't come in as just one of the people of the nation of Israel and go into the promised land. So God made it very clear to Moses, I'm not saying you're not just going to not lead them in there, but I'm telling you clear as can be, and I want you to tell the people, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Now that is a clear message. There is no wiggle room in regards to what God meant when he says you are not going into the promised land. Now God's correction of Moses was kind of hard when we studied this. Not only was he not going to lead Israel into the promised land, he will not even go there himself personally in any capacity. But this is what he had dreamed of and felt called to as a child in the palaces of Egypt when he was growing up. He was, knew that he had a calling of God in his life to lead God's people out of Egypt. He knew it. There was no question in his mind. But he never imagined that he wouldn't complete it. He did lead him out of Egypt. But he finished the thought and said, of course I'm going to lead him right into the promised land. No, only God called him and said, you're just going to bring my, lead my people out of, out of Egypt. He didn't tell him. The, you, he finished his own story. He completed it. And yes, yes, and that's a, that sovereignty of God versus man's wisdom. And, and the fact that could he have gone into the promised land if he didn't screw up in, uh, in, uh, in Meribah? We would never know. But he never got to finish the job because his feet will never touch the promised land. Even though he had dreamt it from his, the covenant that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the question always is when we study this is why so severe? Why such a severe punishment of God on his leader for 40 years bringing his people out? 
where's God's mercy? Where's God's grace? Where's God? You need to understand this and very important thing because we many times say, well, why isn't God's mercy and grace here with me? Get me you know, through this. I know I screwed up. I know I messed up. Why does it have to be a punishment? Why does there have to be a consequence to my, my sinful behavior? Well, for Moses, we see in Meribah, in Numbers chapter 20, verses 17 through 12, that Israel complained and cried out for water, if you remember, in the middle of the desert. And they cried out, and they were coming against heavy against the leader. Man, they were coming heavy. Moses, you're good. we're going to die out here because of you. And why aren't you this and this and that? And, and Moses misinterpreted God. He misrepresented God. He misrepresented God by lecturing the nation harshly and going angry against God's people unnecessarily. And when he got revved up, he got really angry and emotional because they were coming against him because they were so ungrateful and unthankful people. Moses, out of his anger, out of his emotion, misrepresented God by acting as if God needed him to provide water for the people. God, you know you need me. No, you, God doesn't need you. He desires for your, your heart. He desires for, to, for you to, to, to him to work through you, but he doesn't need you. He can accomplish his work without you. Moses both misrepresented and he also disobeyed God by angrily striking the rock, if you remember, twice. Instead of just speaking to the rock as God had told him, just speak to the rock, the water would come out of that rock. He did not do that. Instead, he smacked it once again. Remember the first time he hit it once based on God's command. That was because he needed to smit the rock and the rock represents Jesus Christ. But the second time, he was supposed to just speak by faith and not strike the rock. But not only did he strike it once, but he struck it twice that second time. Now this may seem excessively harsh, but understand that the punishment upon Moses because of this one slip up, he is now going to die just short of the promised land because Moses was being judged by a stricter judgment, a stricter standard. Why? Because of his leadership position of the nation of Israel. He taught, he represented God, and he taught the word of God, and you are always in a leadership position, and when you're in that position of leading people, God's people and teaching God's people, you will have a stricter judgment upon you. We see that in Scripture. And because he had uniquely this close relationship with God, it is right for teachers and leaders to be judged by a stricter standard. We see that in James 3.1. Now, what we don't want to do is take that and then look at your spiritual leaders, your pastors and them, and think and judge them in a stricter way in your own perceptions and think they're perfect. And you expect a perfect standard for your pastor. It is true the people's conduct was worse than Moses. They did far worse coming against God and rebelling. And God did not do anything of that to the nation of Israel, except because of the rebellion. They ended up all that whole generation died in the 40 years in the, in the, in the, in the desert. 
But it's irrelevant of what the people are doing or not doing because he judges the leader much harsher than the actual people. That's why it's always careful. Be careful what you ask for when you want to be in a leadership position. Be very careful when you think you can just get up and just teach God's word like it's no big deal. (laughs) You have no idea of your foolishness to make those statements. You better make sure it's a calling of God on you. And be very, very careful. Now, worst of all, Moses defaced the actual picture of Jesus, the Messiah, that was to come. And to provide the redemptive power, the redemptive work through the rock that was an example or a symbol provided of the water in the wilderness. And we see that tie of the rock in the wilderness being smitened and then by faith he was supposed to speak to it in the New Testament. We see it makes it clear that this water providing life giving rock was a picture of Jesus. We see that noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. And Jesus being struck once providing life for all who would drink of him. That is the reference of John chapter 7 verse 37. But it was unnecessary and unrighteous that Jesus would be struck again much less than twice because the Son of God needed only to suffer once on the cross. Jesus is no longer on the cross. To even represent or even suggest that he continues to be on the cross is not biblical. He is resurrected from the dead. He was raised up into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's not on the cross anymore. He doesn't go through your punishment. He did it once and it's finished. It's complete. We see that even noted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. Now, no one can come to Jesus without words of faith, Romans 10, 8 through 10. That is why he misrepresented Jesus, because we are able to once, the rock has been smitten once, after that you get to come and receive the living water by faith. Jesus died once on the cross, now we get to come by faith into that relationship with Jesus. Based on the finished work of when he was smitten on the the cross. And so as Moses should only have only used words of faith to bring life and giving water to the nation of Israel, Moses ruined this picture of the work of Jesus that God intended. Now, so now Moses must face his destiny. Not only should you not bring this congregation into the land, but also you should not cross over this Jordan. And so we see here in verses 3 through 6, he says, the charge to the children of Israel. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you. Just as the Lord has said, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. 
for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. These are very promising words. He says here that Moses has led Israel for 40 years. He was a tremendous leader that God used. And most of these people had ever known, this whole next generation that they're speaking to, all they've known is him being the leader. As they grew up and were born and, and grew up in the 40 years of the wilderness, now ready to go to the promised land, he now represents and understands that this is the leader, yet the nation could not be more confident than what Moses could do in his way to, to bring this peace. Because he knew God was with Israel. Israel, Moses, Joshua did not have to be afraid. God says, you don't have to be afraid. As a nation going to this promised land, a place you've never been before, and the enemies are huge, they could wipe you out if you look at by a visual. The armies are so strong, there were giants, seven, eight feet tall. I mean, this is incredible when you're talking about a little Jewish guy. But God says, don't be afraid, because I am with you, and I'm going before you, before, and I will take care of your enemies. I'm leading you into a already victory. You just do your part. But he says here, God gives Moses these encouraging words to Joshua and his people and says, be strong and of good courage. Why? Because the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. See, when you have a relationship with God, and God can take you anywhere in this world, and you have the, the strength and the courage to deal with whatever enemy or whatever situation, whatever unique, unexpected thing that can happen to you, both you physically or the enemy tries to come against you physically or the spiritual attack, you can be strong and of good courage. Why? Because God is with you. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that promise. So you've heard me say it many times. Oh, you say to someone who's a non-believer who doesn't believe in God, they live their life however they want to, and you say, be, good and, be strong and good courage because God's with you. Is that promise really for them? Do they have a personal relationship with God? No. But does God still sovereignly want to work and use that potentially to lead them to come to Christ? Yes. But they really don't have that strength that they can draw from God like you can as a child of God. You can deal with courage, have courage to deal with certain things that people look at your life and go, how are you dealing with that stress? How are you dealing with that circumstance? Do you see what just happened? And you're going to sit there and, and you just say, I am just going to be strong and have good courage because God is allowed and is working in my life somehow, some way for, this, for, our, for my good. And that's what he's speaking to them right now. It was not a time for the nation to take, is because they're going in, it's a time to take this courage in the Lord and not fear or be dismayed. Because he just, Moses just told them, I'm not going with you. I've been leading you for 40 years and you're losing your leader. And just in days or moments away before you go and meet this huge enemy and your leader's not even going to be there. There's a change of command. You can imagine if your leader that you were training with and working with and knew so well, now you're going into war and you don't even know who that person is. And he, you're, he's gone. 
But God is telling Moses to tell them, now don't, don't, don't be afraid. Be strong and of good courage. Don't, don't, don't be fearful. Don't be dismayed. Moses won't go in, but I am. Your, your leader can be wiped out. The one you're trusting to help and draw the strength from to get through life, that person may not be in your life, but God will always be in your life. And that's who we're to draw strength from. That's where we're to get our courage from is because God is there with us. He continues here and he specifically charges Joshua. Why? Because Joshua is going to take his leadership position. There's going to be an inauguration. There's going to be a change of command here. Look at this, what happens. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has shown to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. So he's telling the promise, you're going to lead these people. They're going to inherit the promise, land, just like we've been telling, talking about all these years. You're going to do it, Joshua. Verse 8, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Again, he's specifically speaking to Joshua. You're going to be the, you're going to be the leader now. I'm going out of the scene. But you have to remember, Joshua, God is with you and he's going to go before you. And now is he going to go before you in this whole situation? But he'll never leave you or forsake you. Even when it gets really dark and you, the enemy has surrounded you and it seems like you're going to take you out. Or the scene's going to take you out. Or the pressures are going to take you out. Or the anxiety's going to take you out. No, 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 no. God will never leave you or forsake you. That's why you do not fear, because fear is not of God. Put your faith and trust in God, you will not fear. And do not be dismayed. Now it's interesting, sometimes people wrongly say, it is all the Lord, it's all the Lord. And that is true. Oh, you get very Christian pious kind of a thing. Oh, you need to do this. You're going to be great. This is going to be good. And, oh, it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord. And that is true. But God does his work, but he does it through his people. Willing vessels like you and me. You have your part to do what God needs to be done. Yes, he can wipe out an army in today's world. He doesn't need anybody. But he chooses you as a vessel to go for some, to go to war and to push back evil. He can take care of any crime scene in this place, but he chooses to have police in a positions to keep order. Why? Because God reveals himself in the character of who he is through these institutions, these organizations, or these, these arrangements that he puts in place. Here he's saying, Joshua, I'm going to use you. I don't need Moses, and I don't need you. I don't even need the people to go and fight those, those, those giants in the promised land. But I'm going to go fight. You're going to come in and clean up, as I would always say. You're going to come in and just clean up the, on you as you go and take possession of the land, because this, this is the land I have for your people. Men of encouragement, like Moses, are a blessing. 
When you have a leader, Moses, telling another leader who's taking over and being encouraging and saying, be of good, strong and of good courage, that you are going to go in and inherit this because God said he's going to do this, that type of man in other people's men's lives are very important. It's a blessing to other men when they're encouraged by other men to do hard things, to do things that seem to be impossible in the unknowns. When men are encouraging men, they can accomplish great things as God leads them. And that's how God used Moses in Joshua's life here. Moses knew that Joshua might be wavering. Because remember, Joshua was his right-hand man. He was the assistant all the way through. And God had used Joshua in mighty places all the way through this process of leaving the, uh, of Egypt. And he was encouraging him and pushing him forward to do more and take responsibility in the leadership position that God is calling him to do. To help fulfill the destiny of God has for us. So Moses say, Joshua, you have a destiny that God is calling you to do, and that is to lead the people now into the promised land. And I'm encouraging you, man. You've been right there beside me the whole way. God has used you in a mighty way. I know that there is a potential because God is saying to you, don't be fearful, don't be dismayed, don't be down, don't be fearful, don't go shaking, don't go running, don't run. The pressure's up, don't run. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage, and you shall cause them to inherit this land. Now we see now he goes and turns to not only the leader, Joshua, now he turns to the spiritual leaders, the priests. Look what he says to the priests. Verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the son of, sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles. When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the places which he chooses, you shall read this law before all of Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, that, th that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So in these verses 9 through 13, we see very clear message and responsibility of the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the priests, to take this law that God has given Moses to, and Moses writes it down. You need to continue to read it and read it and read it and read it and read it generation upon generation upon generation. Why? Because they need to know who God is. Because you stop reading it, they will not know who God is and they will turn against God and they will go to, as we will see here, that is prophesied, they will go back and they will pick up these idols, they'll go back to the flesh, they will go back to worldly ways and they will live Contrary to God. That is why you need to continue to read God's word. So Moses right here, just as the kings of Israel were responsible, as we read in Deuteronomy 17, 18, they were to write down as a king the entire law. 
Was it the Ten Commandments? Was it all five books? Was it just Deuteronomy? Many people have different says on this, but I have some clarity here. From my perspective, I just know that Moses wrote this law. And who wrote all five books? Moses. Who specifically wrote Deuteronomy? Moses. But he was the uncrowned king of, over Israel. He wasn't a, a, a king. He was a leader that God appointed and loved God's word and wanted to pass it on to generation beyond him. That is a leader without a title. But God says, and Moses tells them, that part of the job of the Levites, the priests, the minister of the word of God to the nation, they were to take this and continue this on after Moses. Every seven years they were to have a public reading, an explanation of the law of God as was modeled in Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 8. Well, if you study the word of God, you studied all the word of God, you then start asking the question, oh, I've gone through the Old Testament. I don't remember how many times do I see God mention the fact that they read the law. Well, let me give you something, what I see. The very first public reading of notice of reading this law that Moses said they're supposed to do was in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. That's where you see it. We're going into Joshua next. But then after that, you look in, this old, in the Old Testament, the next time we hear that this was read was in the reign of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17, 9. How many years had that been? 500 years. Okay. Is that the only time? Well, one more time we see in 2 Chronicles 34, 30, we see 250 years later after Jehoshaphat, the reign of Josiah read the public reading of the law. Now, there might have been other public readings, but the scripture doesn't show anywhere that these, this is important. So why did he mention just twice? As you study the scripture, when God mentions certain things, there's a very specific reason why they were mentioned in the scriptures. But every seven years they were supposed to talk about. Not every 500 years, and in 250 years. So some reason there was a very specific reason why that had got, may or nay or not, had been read between those times. All we know is if you neglect God's word... And don't stay in his word. You will fall just as the nation of Israel fell in tremendous trouble because they walked away from the truths of God. They ruined their lives. And they went into captivity as a punishment. So seven-year national focus on God's word was very specifically told to be done to the people. So why? So generation upon generation upon generation would hear the word of God, know who God is, and they would fear God, they would respect God, they would follow God. And that is why we're in the problems we are in today. Because now several generations have never heard the word of God. I know it's hard to believe the statistics and surveys are out there. With all the internet and all the capability, and more, I don't know how many Bibles were produced. Average family don't even go to church has like three. But they don't read it. You don't get it through a process of osmosis by having it sit on your coffee table and look pretty for your moral 
upstanding when someone comes to, to see you at the house. You have to read the Word of God. And then after you read the Word of God, you have to apply the Word of God. You have to live it. They didn't live it. And we know what the history is with the nation of Israel. Now we see Moses then talks about, you know, kind of solidifies almost a moment here in these last few verses of chapter 31. The, the, the inauguration, the transfer of power here and, and the change of command we see in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, the days approach when you must die. God says you're going to die. Call Joshua. Present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I, God, may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. You mean you didn't have a, an Israel didn't get together with a committee and, and do a committee search and, and decide on the resumes of who was going to lead the people? No, that's not how it works. God decides who's going to lead his people. And he said Joshua's going to lead his people. Verse 15, now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle and a pillar of, cloud, of the cloud and the pillar of clouds stood above the door of the tabernacle. What a scene that must have been. Throughout the whole wilderness journey, if you remember, we see Moses and Joshua together before the Lord so often through the scriptures. All through we studied. And now here in Exodus 33, 11, it says, his, it, we saw back then, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He stayed faithful in knowing who God is and helped and assisted Moses faithfully serving God and seeked after God together. That's a true assistant pastor. And Joshua was qualified to serve because why? Because he was at home in the presence of the Lord. He never left the tabernacle. It was like home to him. This wasn't just some job. Oh, I had nothing else to do. It makes me feel good. That's why I go to church. No, no, no. This is what I've always done growing up. I just go to church because my mom told me, my grandma told me. I, I, I just got, you know, I just sometimes it's kind of fun. It's good. It's better than partying, I guess. No, no. Joshua was committed to loving and serving God. He felt at home being around God's people. That is a godly man. And God said, and a faithful man, he never left. And he said, God says, I can use a faithful man. And that's how God selects leaders of his people. He looks for the faithfulness of a man. And that's when he puts a calling on their life. Now look at here. And where he said the Lord appeared. See, this begins that solemn and important chapter in the history of God's people because this will be Moses' retirement ceremony and Joshua's inauguration ceremony. This is the change of command that takes place that will affect the nation as we goes into the promised land. It says right here in 16 through 22 that because of this, this is kind of the solemn aspect of it. Now think about it. You're Moses... You're, you're having your retirement ceremony that by force. You, weren't, you didn't want to retire. You wanted to lead them into the promised land and, and receive all the blessings for going into the promised land because you've been doing this your whole life, 40 years on the job. And now you don't get to go in and the retirement is cut short and it's nothing like you anticipated. 
But God said this. But then God says to Moses, but now you're going to be used as you're departing the the position of leadership, you're now going to tell the people truth about what their future holds because of their attitude, their behavior, their rebelliousness. Look what happens. Verse 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, Where they go to be among them, they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. So right up front, God tells them, Moses, tell these people, this is what's happening after you leave. Verse 17, then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them. So that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? They recognized why was what all the things were happening against the nation. They knew it's because they walked away from the from God. That was not a that was a rhetorical question. Oh, you know, I think it's you know because we walked away. Look at what's happening to us. This was not something what happening to us. I have no idea. No, they knew exactly what was why is coming. This this evils were coming down upon them. Verse 18, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done, and in that they have turned to other gods. Not only have you walked away from the one and true and living God, you've turned around and made little gods for yourself, created your own little lifestyle, and and just really had to spend all your time and your money and your energy following these little gods because it made you feel good. Because everyone else was doing it. The rest of the world's doing it. The rest of the nations, ungodly nations, were doing it. Verse 19, and now therefore write down this song. What? Write down this song? (laughs) Can you imagine? I'm sitting there going, I'm sitting here hearing this. God, you're telling me to tell these people they're going to rebel and they're going to go against and you're going to turn your face against them and you're going to just leave them out there. There's going to be evils and stuff going on. It goes on and on. How am I going to write this down? What am I going to, how am I going to present this to you're going to write a song about it. Don't you find that fascinating? In chapter 32, next week, Lord willing, we're going to read that song. But look at this. It says, write down the song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the, Isra- against the children of Israel. You're going to teach this song to children and they're going to sing it because it's going to remind them that God turned against them because of their rebelliousness and their idolatry, their wickedness. And they're going to sing it. Why? Let's keep going. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. That means... You're going to be so blessed when you go into this into this the promised land, just like I promised. You have so much food and so good and so luxurious. It's you've never experienced this your entire life. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Verse 21, then it shall be when my when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. 
for it will, be, will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them, into, brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. The sovereignty of God. Moses, I'm telling you, you're, you're retiring because I'm telling you you're going to retire. Joshua, you're taking command. And Joshua, even though you're appointed by me, you're a godly man, you're a faithful man, you've done everything I'm asking you to do, but the nation is going to turn against me. After they've received all the blessings from God, all the, just the promised land to bring them into a great life, everything that God has, they're inheriting what was promised all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They get to benefit from it. And what do you do after you're blessed by God? They had the nerve to turn against God. And they faced the consequences. And I'm going to write a song about it. Moses, write it down. And right now, immediately before you retire, you're going to teach it to everybody in this nation. You're going to get them all to sing it. You're going to teach it so they don't forget it. Because it's going to bring them back to the witness of this moment that I'm telling you to tell them. They are going to be a rebellious nation and turn to idols and to other nations and go against me. And that song, every time they think of it and remember it and sing it, is going to remind them the reason why they're in the position they're in is because of the fact they turned against God. So what did Moses do? He told Moses to compose this sermon in a song format. And we'll see that next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy 32. Now, because of this future idolatry that is in Israel, we're going to see here in verse 23, the inauguration is now Joshua says, guess what, Joshua? This is what you're going to inherit. I don't know when that timing happened, but it looks clear that God clearly told Moses his last thing he's going to do as he's ready to retire is write this song, this sermon, so that they don't forget the fact that they're going to rebel. And then they say, Joshua, <laughs> you're the leader of this future. <laughs> How would you like to be a leader knowing that this was about to happen? Then, verse 23, he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage. Oh, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. This is what you have to look forward to as a rebellious nation. Be strong and of good courage. For you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. It's remarkable. How often, as you study the scripture, how often this exhortation was given to Joshua specifically in our whole journey through the Exodus and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, obviously, 31, 6, and 7 twice, and 23. We also, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6, 7, 9, and 18, is constantly saying to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. A man who's trying to lead God's people needs to hear, be strong and of good courage, because it's not easy. 
There's a pastor, my first pastor said, Cody, it's not easy to be in the ministry. And I always remember that French accent telling me, Cody, it's not going to be easy to be in the ministry. And it's so true. It was his French-Canadian way of saying, be strong and of good courage, Corey. It also kind of suggests, if you hear these important words, it kind of says to Joshua, okay, you're going to become weak. There's a need that's going to come in this position of command that you're going to need encouragement. Because even great leaders like Joshua needed such an encouragement in the position that he was, God was placing them in. Most of us, God forgives, forgives us and are too big for God to use. We are too full of ourselves. We have our own plans. We have our own schemes. We have our own ways of doing things. So God can't use you because you're so high and mighty and to think you're in control of your life. But Joshua understood. He'd been through the test. He knew that if, apart from God, he could do nothing. And he knew, Joshua needed to be strengthened and encouraged. And, and the Lord, as even with the small enough small things, to be understand that God is bigger than the situation. But we also know, and we see in Joshua 10.25... That not only is Joshua being encouraged with these words, he is encouraging others to be strong and of good courage. And that's what leaders do. Not only are they being encouraged, they turn around and say the same encouraging words to other men to rise up and do hard things. He could encourage others to be encouraged in the Lord because he was being encouraged in the Lord. You'll never encourage someone else in the Lord if you're not being encouraged in the Lord. But also the fact that Moses and God said these words to them directly to Joshua is in really important as you think about it from a leadership perspective because Joshua could have been a very timid man, very reluctant man, always just kind of helping the leader and being there alongside and never having full responsibility because Moses had the full responsibility. I'm just here to help him and raise up his hands and, and encourage him because Moses was God who's God's leader as his leader. But now he finds himself into the position of leadership and he can have a tendency to be weakness or a weakness in it to him. And sometimes people can sit there and say, oh, Joshua, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. But that may not encourage the man. Some people may come along and say, oh, you're so sweet and you'll just make it. I'm sure you'll make it. That's not encouraging. Instead, Moses knows who this man is. And he says, Joshua, I know you've been with me. I know you've watched everything that God has done in, in, through my life and your life. And I'm telling you, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strong. But I'm telling you, and I believe what the, Moses is directly says, he's saying to Joshua, step up, man. You got a man up now. You need to be strong and of good courage. It's not time to, to coddle you and to hug, hug, and, and, and love, love, love. Okay, come on, man. You can keep going, keep going. You're going to be, you're really good. You're going to be, no, no. Be strong and of good courage. Get up. No more fooling around now. 
You're going to lead God's people. This is not a time to be coddled. It's time to stand up. It's time to move forward. It's time to be really, truly following God here. Because you're going to be the leader. And that's how this man needed to be encouraged. Not coddled. Not softened. But understand, this is not going to be easy, but be strong and good courage. Well, God says he's not going to leave you or forsake you. That's where you get your strength from. I tell men all the time, it's time to walk away from the drugs. It's time to walk away from the alcohol. It's time to walk away from the porn. It's time to walk away from the anger. It's time to walk away from the gossips and everything else that goes on in your life. And you're always being coddled. And I'm telling you, get up. And be good, strong and, and good courage to move forward and live for God. And do what God's calling you to do. Because he uses men who are going to be faithful. He uses women who are going to be faithful. Time is short, my brothers and sisters. God is coming back for us. It's no longer time to play around this Christianity. Are you a child of God or you're not? If you're not, tonight's the night you give your life to Jesus Christ. Surrender it all. Last thing I want you to do is go to hell. And if you are a child of God, get up. Stop living cardinal. It's a miserable life. It's not what God has for you. Now live a godly life. Put the things of the world aside. Put the things of the flesh aside. It's time to step up, man. And lead. And do. And then we see verses 25, 24 through 27. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in the book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Notice those words. Put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Word of God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? So Moses finished his talking. Just some final words from the leader Moses before he retires. He finished, Moses finished the five books of the Bible, what we refer to as the law. And he gave it to this to Israel and all the creation and all the inspired words of God that God gave him. And we know that there was, he was to put inside the Ark of the Covenant the Ten Commandments. They were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, Hebrews 9, 4. But the whole book of the law, be it some believe it's just Deuteronomy, some believe it's all five books. I lean toward the five books because Moses in his lifetime had been writing all five of books. There was the entire law. It was the end of his life. Everything he has been writing his entire life is now in the books. The book of the law. 
And he says, take that and set it right beside the Ark of the Covenant. So when people know it sits right there, it is a witness to all the people. It's a reminder. Moses knew Israel would rebel. Why? Because God told Moses that they would rebel. And he knew this both from the promise of God. We saw it, see that in verses 16 and 17. And from common sense, he says, If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been a rebellious against the Lord, how much more after my death? That's why I'm going to put the law. Everything I've been writing my entire life that God has told me to write, it's all done. I'm finished. I'm going to die. And now it's preserved. Remember, God's law, that law was preserved along the rest of the Bible all of these centuries. Because God said he was going to preserve his law. Now some people will challenge, as a side note before we close here, what about the last three chapters? If this is the end of the book, what happened to the last three chapters if Moses didn't write this? It's not complicated, it's pretty simple. The rest of it is Joshua writing these down. And finishing it off. God used this new leader to finish the rest of the book of Deuteronomy. So no doubt Joshua had the remainder, reminder or the remainder of Moses' words and deeds and recording it and, and making sure it's preserved and put into, onto the work. Lastly, 28 through 30. Gather to me all the elders of the tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were, until they were ended. And then that will be, take us into chapter 32, Lord willing, next week.